Nice to see you. How many of you made it to the conference this week? Bless your hearts. How many of you didn't? How many of you are not sure where you were this week? <laughs> it's uh, a real treat to, uh, to be here. Um, I've been looking forward to uh, the event this week. I have a special fondness for the UK and I uh, have been coming for quite a few years. And I was just telling uh, my assistant Michael yesterday that it's, it's uh, I've been coming for so many years and I have so many friends, but haven't felt the deep connection that is needed for a true kingdom partnership. And, uh, and, I, and I have that with Pete and Kim, so thankful for what you guys, who you guys are and what you've done here. And uh, a few others now that I've connected with around the country. So it's a real, real treat for me. I really, really am thankful. Thankful for the privilege to be here. Um, we've had fun this week. I have a very important story to read. <laughs> to if you weren't here this week, I read stupid stuff. It's just a habit. And uh, I found one I hadn't read yet. So all of you get to benefit. George Phillips, an elderly man from Michigan, was going up to bed when his wife told him that he had left the light on in the garden shed, which she could see from the bedroom window. George opened the back door to go turn off the light, but saw that there were people in the shed stealing things. He phoned the police, who asked, Is someone in your house? He said, No, but some people are breaking into my garden shed and stealing from me. The police dispatcher said, All patrols are busy. You should lock your doors, and an officer will be along when one is available. George said, Okay. He hung up the phone, counted to 30. Then he phoned the police again. Hello, I just called a few seconds ago because there were people stealing from my shed. Well, you don't have to worry about them now. I just shot and killed them both. <laughs> the dogs are eating them right now. And he hung up. Within five minutes, six police cars, a SWAT team, a helicopter, two fire trucks, a paramedic, and an ambulance showed up at the Phillips residence and caught the burglars red-handed. One policeman said to George, I thought you said you shot them. George said, I thought you said no one was available. <laughs> joys that I have in life is to partner with people that, that just want to abandon everything for Jesus to be honored, you know, to, to live as he lived, to do what he did, to one of the most astonishing things I've, I've ever realized is that Jesus, Jesus did what he did is as a man submitted to God. And that could be misunderstood uh, in that he is eternally God. He never stopped being God. But, but when he put on flesh, he actually made a decision to live with the same restrictions and restraints any human being would have to have. And that's why we see him only doing what he saw his father do because he needed direction. And we see him only ministering in the power of the Spirit because he chose not to use the power he had as God. And so what did he do? He actually set an example for us that could be followed. 
If he did what he did as God, goodness, I'm still impressed. But when I realized that he did it as a man submitted to God, now I'm compelled to follow. Now I realize, oh, he did that so that it could be followed. The miracles that Jesus did, I don't believe were to show us what God could do. That was already accomplished in the Old Testament. There's extraordinary works all through the Old Testament. Amazing things took place, page after page after page. There's no question about what God could do. The New Testament, the Gospels, show us what one man could do that is totally yielded and submitted to God. In that, it creates this this compelling uh, passion within the hearts of people to, to not... To not just be a part of a religious movement, not just to be a part of a Christian country club, you know, not just to be a part of some ritual every week, but to actually be engaged with God himself as our father and see if we can make a difference in the world. And so Jesus has chosen to give his Holy Spirit. Now listen to me, the exact spirit that raised him from the dead. So he can be called the Holy Spirit, he can be called the Spirit of Resurrection. That spirit lives inside you and me, and he wants out. <laughs> he, wa- he wants to flow through you. One of, the, one of my most beloved passages, in fact, why don't you just turn there just because it will be fun. Uh, in, in John chapter 7 is a great, uh, a great portion of scripture that I'd like for us to look at. It refers to this Holy Spirit as a river. How many of you have your Bible on iPads or iPhones? Or, yeah, okay, all right. I've asked some of our IT people to create an app so that when people open their Bibles in their iPad, it will make the sound of turning pages. <laughs> So that I actually feel like people brought their Bibles, you know. <laughs> I really have. <laughs> I, I have many in here, and I have many in here, and I, I have them everywhere, but uh, I got the hard copy here. All right. John 7, verse um, uh, 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Think through these verses with me. I want us to to kind of challenge our, uh, our, our thinking here. Um, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So we come to him and we drink. And then he says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers. So a drink becomes a river. Whenever we participate in God and receive him, he becomes a mighty force within us to alter and to change the geography around us. Everybody in this room, 
that has become a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is in you to make changes, not only in you, but in the world around you. So here we have this brilliant picture. It says, He who believes in me, 38, uh, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, think through this. Just give me your attention here. He spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. One of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit in every one of our lives is to make us like Jesus. Would, would you agree with that? Five of you agree with me. That's awesome. I've got some work to do, I can see. here. The Holy Spirit is in us to make us like Jesus. We, we, we can see the list of his attributes. We know that he leads, he guides, he convicts, he empowers, he does all these things. But all of that works unto one purpose. It's to conform us into the image of Christ. And this passage says, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit, in his time working on planet Earth, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because he had not yet been glorified. Why do you think the Holy Spirit couldn't be given until Jesus was glorified? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I, I, I was, when I first recognized that verse, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus wasn't glorified. I was thinking, man, the disciples really could have used the Holy Spirit. They did a whole bunch of dumb things, and they really could have used Holy Spirit dwelling in them to enable them to, to, uh, to do things much better than they did. And, uh, and then I saw this verse and realized, if the Holy Spirit's job is to make us like Jesus and waited until Jesus was glorified, before he took up residence in us. Then it means the Holy Spirit waited until he could make us like the Jesus that was glorified instead of the Jesus headed to the cross. Now, this, the, scripture, uh, agree, the scriptures are, uh, thankfully agree with this concept. If you look at John, uh, the gospel writer, John, uh, one of the 12 disciples, uh, you see him at the Last Supper. You see this very tender moment. Jesus has just announced someone's going to betray him. The fascinating thing about the story is no one knew who it was. It wasn't like Judas stood out as the jerk, you know, and everybody else was wonderful. Judas fit in with everybody else. Nobody suspected it was him. They, they all wondered, you know, like, is it me? Is there something about me I didn't pick up, you know? And, and so, and here we have John sitting right next to Jesus, and he put, his, he put his head on him, and you see this tenderness that's very, very unusual, especially among men without it being strange. There's this, this affection, this very deep, profound tenderness there. And you see this, this relationship that John has with Jesus, and he sees this Christ that is about to be crucified. Of course, Jesus then dies, he's resurrected, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and then is glorified. Then this same gospel writer, John, sees Jesus in, in Revelation chapter 1. This time when he sees him, he sees him, 
hair white like wool, feet of burnished bronze, eyes of fire. How I many you know, it looked a little bit different in Revelation 1 than he did at the Last Supper? Quite a bit different. That Jesus is what John was exposed to. And then he wrote in 1 John 4.17. Usually I just quote it, but today I want you to see it in your own iPad. <laughs> in 1 John 4.17, this gospel writer says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. I want you to say that with me. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, how is he? Hair white like wool, eyes of fire, feet of burnished bronze. He is ascended at the right hand of the Father. And this gospel writer caught a revelation of the resurrected, glorified Christ and then turned to you and me and said, that's what he's made us to be. Not in heaven. Now, so all the work of the Holy Spirit is to fashion. If if you could picture it this way, the Holy Spirit couldn't be given to us until Jesus was glorified, resurrected, ascended, glorified. All right. And so picture like an artist or a potter, a potter making a pot and using a model. I've got a model here and I'm trying to make this exactly like this. I've got a sculpture. I'm trying to sculpture. I'm using this model exactly. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's looking at the model and he's conforming us into that image. Everything that he does in us, every time he speaks to us, every time he empowers us, every time he directs us, it's always unto this end that there would be an adequate representation of who Jesus is on the earth. And it's through you, and it's through me. We either have confidence in our ability to be weak, or we have confidence in his ability to be strong through us. Many people become preoccupied with their own issues. We've all got stuff that we're working on. We've all got things that frustrate us. We all have things that have been very victorious. We, we are thrilled with what God's done in us. We are all in process. And sometimes the confidence of a person gets shifted from God's ability to do what he said he would do in us to our inability to make it happen. All right. I want you to look at two portions of Scripture. Uh, The first one will be in Matthew 11. Matthew 11. And then the second one will be in Mark 10. Are you alive? Everyone's alive? Good. Actually, I was pleasantly pleased to walk into the room and feel the same anointing of the local church as there was in the conference, because that isn't always the case. So bless you, local church. I, I love it, I love it, I love it. Actually, personally, I feel at home, I feel like our week, weekend services with the church family are better than our conferences. That's, that's how I think. So you guys, way to go. Way to go. Our conferences are good, but it's just so fun to be in the same room with people you know and love and you're all going after the same thing regardless, you know. We, we may not always uh, always do it well, but we're always trying, you know. We're, all, we're always in there. And uh, 
My, my dad used to tell a story of, of uh, at the beginning of World War II, some of the young soldiers were getting together and they would be marching down the street to show their support of uh, their national army. And one elderly lady took a broom and she went and got in line with all the soldiers. And people made fun of her and she stopped and said, well, at least you know what side I'm on. And sometimes that's that's just who we are. We just I don't I don't know what I'm doing, but at least you know what side I'm on. You know, so, all right. Matthew 11 is uh, is a is is a a standalone chapter. There's a there's some things in the Bible that are repeated many times. There are some stories that are told only once, and then there are some large portions of Scripture that are so full that it would actually take you know, an entire book of the Bible to unravel them. And chapter 11 is one of those because it deals with this mysterious individual called John the Baptist. We know, of course, he was sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. But there is a truth about the kingdom of God that, uh, that we're going to see in here that I'm sure you've been taught about and have considered much, but I want to talk about it anyway. All right? Matthew 11, verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This entire chapter is, uh, is quite, uh, quite fun. Excuse me. Here. This entire chapter is quite... Um, quite revealing about this mystery between Old and New Testament. It's uh, it's a stunning unveiling of this individual that actually closed out the Old Testament uh, with his prophetic ministry and introduced Jesus, who was going to introduce now the New Covenant. And uh, one of the things that that is important to see is that John the Baptist, while he was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets, the least in the kingdom, which is includes every one of us, the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Not greater in human significance, greater in possibility, greater in potential, because the Spirit of God now takes up residence in us as born-again people, qualifying us to do what Jesus did. All of us would agree Jesus was greater than John. But because of Jesus, you're greater than John. Now, that's nothing I want to write a song about. It's just something I want to, I want to live with. The burden would be the wrong word. But I want to live with the, with the weighty re, the realization that I have responsibility now because of what Jesus has made available and possible for me. Here's the truth that I want us to look at, though, concerning the kingdom. It's in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There are two primary processes or ways that we enter into the things of God. And knowing the difference between these two is what really helps us to be effective in any season that we are in. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the other one to you uh, right now, and then I'll just bounce back and forth and talk about these two. The the other process is in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, in verse 13, Mark 10, 13, page 1489. 
Then they brought the little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But Jesus saw it, and he was greatly displeased, and said to them, Let the little children come to me, do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Here's our key verse, verse 15. Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. All right. Does anyone see a difference between these two processes? One, take it violently by force. Two, receive it as a child. Slight difference between the two, would you agree? In fact, let me tell you, you get a whiplash if you try to do both at the same time. It's, 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 it's impossible to, to live in both seasons at the same time because they have completely different mindsets. Take, now this is, every, I'm assuming that everybody in this room wants to progress in the things of God. We don't grow by groaning, but we do grow spiritually by yielding. See, faith is not the product of sweat and striving. It's the product of surrender. It's the fruit of yieldedness. So those who want to grow in faith just need to learn more how to yield to the presence, the Spirit, the Word of God. So here we have these almost contradictory ways of entering into the greater things, entering into a progress, into greater anointing. Anybody else want to grow in greater anointing, be more effective in the world around us? That's what I want. I, that's what I long for. I'm so thankful. I, I'll be honest with you. I've seen more. I see more in a week right now than I thought I'd ever get to see in my lifetime, in my entire life. And that's absolutely the truth. But what happens when you taste of the things of God is you realize there's more. And even though today is the answer to yesterday's prayer, this will never satisfy me. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like I'm grateful, I'm thankful, but if I get a chance, I want more than this. I, I know more can be done. I know, that, I know that the power of your name can be demonstrated better. I know that the purity of your name can be illustrated better. I know the effectiveness on cities and nations. I know it's possible because you commanded us to do it. You told us to disciple nations. So God, I'm in this to see nations turn. And so the, the farther you go in God, the more you realize is available. You know, it's like it's like uh, people have said often, the more schooling you get, the more you realize you don't know. Well, that's kind of the way this kingdom works, you know. So here we've got these two almost contradictory ways into maturity. One is to take something violently by force. What is the violence in the spirit world? It's faith. Faith is violence in the unseen world. I don't know that there's very many things about your life and about my life that more frustrates the enemy than for us to believe what God said over and above the circumstances he's tried to create around us. It's got to be so debilitating. It's got to be demoralizing. He must go home depressed at night. When he tries his best to get some believer distracted by circumstances, and yet we go, no, I believe God. I just believe God. It's, it's got to just annoy him to pieces, which is a great thrill to me. <clears throat> and that's what faith is. Faith has that effect of so working against the delusion of circumstances. How many of you know there's a difference between facts and truth? 
oftentimes there's a difference between the two. Sometimes facts will say one thing, but truth says, no, God's promise to me is greater than what I see. I don't yet see the answer, but I know he can't lie. I know that he cannot lie. I know that his covenant with me is true, is real, and that he will do exactly what he said. And so I'm, I'm just going to do everything he tells me to do, and I just believe God. And so here's this, here's this unusual posture that we as the people of God get to take every single day of our life, just to live with this abiding faith. There's, there's two different kinds of faith. There's that abiding faith that, that when there's, there's not a direction to take, we just know the bottom line is we know that God is going to be faithful. He's going to deliver us or heal or whatever it's going to be. And then there's the, the activity of faith, that that says, I have a word from God. I know what God is about to do, and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to take the risk that is necessary. I've been in situations where, um, I, I don't know how, how this uh, will, will sound to you. I'm very careful when I give somebody a directive. Um, I forgot to ask you. I apologize. When, when does the floor open up and I disappear? <laughs> Quarter after, perfect, perfect, good. Yeah, no, that's great, that's great. I'm sorry, I, you should never do that as a speaker in front of everyone, but I, 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 for, I forgot, I, for, I just forgot. It happens often, actually. <laughs> what was I talking about? It was, it was pretty important. Got it. I've heard, I, I need help, see, I just need help, yes. I have the Holy Spirit, and I have Michael, and I have you. And when my wife is with me, she sounds a whole lot like the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's I, have, I have many. She's on her way home today. She just uh, just caught a flight. So, um, I'm very careful at telling someone, "Thus saith the Lord." Uh, I, as as somebody in spiritual authority, it's so easy to abuse that. I've heard people say, for example, do you remember the scripture that talks about the prophet comes to the widow and says, um, you know, I'd love something to drink or love something to eat. And she goes, uh, I'm eating my last meal. Then my son and I are going to die. You know, that's a depressed woman right there. Says, we're, we're going we're gonna to eat this and then we're going to die. And the prophet says, well, give it to me first. <laughs> now that scares me. It scares me because what if God actually had me do that? Do you realize what you have to go through as a person who learns to hear from God. I've heard people on, uh, in, in Christian circles, a leader will get up and say, empty your bank account because God says, you know, put it in this offering or whatever and, you know, give your last meal. No, that's, that's the spirit of stupid. You just don't ever go there. You never require someone else to do something courageous out of a principle. But I may be required to cause someone to do something courageous out of the presence. There is a difference between the two. I can always find a principle to lay on someone else that was perfect for the moment it was revealed in, but it's imperfect for the moment you're living in. Does, does that make sense? And so I, I, I will not require somebody, when I say require, I mean give a directive. I will not give a directive to an individual that is going to cost them out of a biblical principle. What I will do is I will teach principles and let people hear what God is saying to them. Does that make sense? However, 
I have been in situations where you've got somebody with, uh, that's in a lot of pain. They've got a, a leg that was just broken. It's a very serious uh, injury. And I have had happen a few times in the presence where I tell them to run. That's the worst thing in the world to do with somebody who's got a serious injury of their leg and they are already in a lot of pain. You just don't do that out of the principle. Well, this is what faith looks like. But you might be required to do something like that out of the presence. Am I making any sense to her? Am I making you nervous? I, I don't, <laughs> don't worry, I won't do it to you. But I have. I've, I've actually grabbed somebody's head. I said, let's run before. And it's something you would never do except that the Spirit of God comes upon us and there's a moment where you act outside of who you normally are. You might be normally very timid, very shy, very whatever. Well, not in that moment. In that moment, God Himself is on you and you become this courageous person. Afterwards, you go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? You know, but I, I, every time I've done that, though, the person is healed. Because when you do it in the presence, when you do it in that empowerment of the Spirit of God, that is the miracle zone. That's where nothing's impossible. And I love those moments. But they are not up to our control. He is not manipulated or directed by us. He is God. He's just looking for yielded, willing hearts to rest upon and to empower. Did that make any sense? I, I took a little detour back to the subject of, of the violence of faith. So we've got these two ways. If, we could, if I could use this part of the stage to illustrate maturity in God. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a greater ability in the prophetic. Maybe it's a greater anointing uh, in healing. Maybe it's a greater wisdom for your business. Uh, you, know, and you fill in the blanks, but it's just that progress into God. And there's two ways to get into this room of progress. One is the, is the violence of faith. There's the, it's just the exercise of faith. You know, I don't know what you guys do here, but I'm, at home we fast, we pray, we march, we blow the shofar, we got tambourines, we got flags, we've got, you know, all the Christian toys. All, all the Christian toys. All, all, people have all kinds of stuff they bring out, and I just, I just look at it and go, yeah, whatever works, you know. I mean, he's, he's, he's used stranger things, so I, it's fine with me. They'll pour the oil, they'll, you know, do all kinds of stuff. I just go, I just go along with it. So, here we are, we're, we're using every Christian toy we have to get a breakthrough. You know, the people blowing the shofar and they're waving flags and they're marching and they're fasting and crying and the shout of praise and all these things. Sometimes, though, that's all just nervous energy because the season changed and we're in Mark 10. And in Mark 10, he says, unless you receive the kingdom as a child, you can't enter it. And it's so frustrating. In my last breakthrough, you know, the, the breakthrough where the finances came through and it came through at that last moment and I was claiming and I was, declaring, I was prophesying, I was doing every weird thing I could think of to get the breakthrough and it came and I'm so rejoicing. The problem is, is trying to, trying to practice the lesson I learned in my last situation in the next one. Because it's just like the Lord to say, we're doing this one different. I don't know if you've noticed, every miracle in the New Testament that is recorded about Jesus, every one of them he did different than the previous. He never healed one blind person the same way. Every time it's different. Why? Just because he can. Has anybody noticed that by the time you learn to be extremely generous, God says open a savings account? 
And about the time you learn to save money, he says, give it away. I don't think he cares about saving his accounts or give, emptying the account. I don't, I don't think those are the, the point. I think the point is, can you hear me and will you obey? I think he's looking for disciples. He's looking for followers. Disciples aren't made by repeating a prayer. Disciples are made by following. So here we've got this almost a dilemma. I'm all, I've got my shofar, I've got the oil, I'm laying hands on anything that won't move. Run away from me. You know, I'm just praying for everything, and I've got the violence of faith going. I've found the promise in Scripture. I've taken the prophecies that have been given to me. I'm declaring them. I'm walking around the building. I'm doing everything I know to do, and nothing's budging. And then I'm open to Mark 10, and he says, Unless you receive the kingdom as a child, you can by no means enter it. A friend of mine had a, had a vision. He was going through a much more challenging situation than I think I've probably ever faced in my life. And he was is an individual uh, with some of the most extraordinary miracles I've ever heard of in my life. And he was, he was praying. He was using everything he had learned up to that point. He's seen many, many, many dead people raised. Uh, extraordinary individual and he was using everything he had learned up to that point to get this breakthrough and nothing was happening and the Lord took him into a vision and the vision was imagine a bull rink and in the middle of this bull rink is a, is a present a, a beautifully wrapped gift uh, wrapping paper beautiful bow everything is, is on this gift and he watches, and a bull comes into this bull rink and starts snorting at the gift, running at the gift, pawing at the gift, doing all this stuff, and the gift just sits there, circling the gift. This is all this violence, all the, you know, all the snorting and all the things that bulls do, and the gift just sits there completely unopened. And then the scene changes, and he watches a little child walk onto the grounds of the bull rink, walk over, and take the bow and pull, and it opens. Sometimes we work really hard to get what we already have. Living unconscious of what God has already deposited in us causes constant frustration in this walk with the Lord. What is the Lord trying to teach us in the violence of faith? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I like the violence of faith. I like that part. I, I, you know, I just do it with trusted friends because you look weird. And I already have enough weird stories out there about us, so I try not to create any unnecessary ones. You know. But I, I do. I love to get together with the intercessors and the prophets, and we just pray. And I, I remember we were... We were praying once about, uh, we have a river that runs through our city, beautiful river called the Sacramento River. Sacramento, the word comes from the word sacrament. It's the river of sacrament, which is a pretty cool name. Our city name, uh, Reading in, in Dutch, is salvation. So the river of sacrament runs through salvation, which it ought to. I don't know. You don't have to be prophetic to get off on that one. So I, <laughs> I just, that just gets me excited. So 
we were praying about the healing of our city and all this stuff, you know. And and uh, and I I happened to just open my Bible to this passage in Ezekiel, where they just went to the headwaters of this river and they threw salt in. Do you know what a prophetic act is? A, a prophetic act, uh, an act of faith, is where um, I have a broken ankle. It hurts, but I believe He just healed me. And so what? I start to put weight on it. Now, does that make sense? I'm, it's an act of faith. I'm doing something to illustrate the faith that is in my heart, proving that God is doing what He said He would do. All right? That's an act of faith. A prophetic act is completely different. A prophetic act is where you do what He said to do in the natural, but it is completely unrelated to the outcome you want. A good example. Um, the prophet, uh, the, the, the young prophets came to the senior prophet one day and said, we borrowed an axe head and it came off and it's, it's down in the river. And the prophet says, oh, just throw a branch in. So they, take, they throw the branch in, the axe head swims to the surface, comes to the side of the bank. Now how many of you know, you can throw... Branch, branches in all day long and you will never get another axe head to swim because they're unrelated except that in the realm of obedience they become perfectly connected. Does that make sense? And so the throwing of salt in the river in Old Testament times brought healing to a very dangerous situation or as a prophetic act. And so I, I read that one day and I thought, man, I bet we're supposed to take salt up to the head of the River. We were have, having a prayer meeting at the headwaters of our sacrament, River of Sacrament, the next day. One of the other persons on the team read the same passage that night and also brought salt. They said, we just feel like God wants us to throw salt. I go, this is weird, but I'm doing it. I don't, I don't care how it looks like. Don't print this. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, don't take pictures. I don't want anyone else to see it, but we're going for it. You know, so I just took this salt, threw it in the water, prayed, and you know, you, you just do what you do because you're in that violence of faith mode. You're in that, I'll just do whatever he says. I'll just do whatever he says. We've done through the years, we've done so many things that, that seem to be, you know, so unusual to the, to the natural mind. But when you see cause and effect, obedience in this realm brings release in this realm. Oh, it just endears your heart to the God who speaks. But the frustrating one for me to learn is the child one. Because just about the time you get a history of getting breakthrough, you know, you see cancer disappear. You see somebody who's been stone deaf for 40 years of never being able to hear anything and have those ears open. You see somebody walk who can't walk. You know, you, you fill in the blanks. You see these things happen and you're, you're just ready to... Let me rip the devil's lips off, you know. I just, I just, I want to go at it again. And just about that time, the Lord changes the season, and you try everything you've learned. You try to hear from God. You find the promises. You repeat old prophecies. You do everything you know to do. You, you march. You walk. You lay hands on, and nothing works. And it's like the Lord is saying, "I'm not trying to teach you how to be a soldier. I'm trying to teach you how to be a son." Some things he entrusts only to soldiers, but some things he only entrusts to sons and daughters. Sometimes he's trying to show me my authority. He is. Sometimes he's trying to say, listen, I've given you the same Holy Spirit. I've given you the same direction. I've given you the same assignment. 
the same anointing. You have the responsibility to do what the Father sent me to do. This is your job. And sometimes that's the mode I'm in, is just to learn to obey well and to do what He said to do. Because he's, he's wanting me to learn the depth of authority that He's placed in my life. But sometimes He's not concerned about that at all. He's concerned about my identity. Sometimes you work hard because you don't know who you are. Sometimes you work hard because you think that perhaps by working hard you can earn what has already been put into your account. The violence of faith teaches me authority. Receiving as a child teaches me the power of inheritance. What's an inheritance? An inheritance is when you get something for free that someone else paid a price for. Right? It's when you get something for free, someone else paid a price for it. Off subject just a little bit. One of the things we work hard to train our own people is in the concept of momentum in generations. We have a whole generation of young people that are inheriting a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit. And it's so fun to be able to pass off an inheritance. It's so, pa it's so fun. You know, if, if we were to put this in the natural, I'm talking about spiritual things, but let's talk about, let's, let's try to illustrate it in the natural. It's so nice to see a young couple just get married and already have a house that's paid for. Already have a car that's paid for. Being able to have none of those restrictions. Well, put that into the spiritual world. It's so nice to see people step into a momentum, a momentum of a move of God that they didn't have to work for. But here's the catch. In inheritance, you receive something for free that someone else paid a price for. If you want to have something to give to the generations that follow you, you'll have to pay a price to increase what you got for free. Those are the two ways that I know of to progress in the things of God. The violence of faith, where we take according to the passion, the directive of our heart. And the other, as we sit, we wait. I know which one I feel more comfortable doing. <laughs> Waving the flag and blowing the horn, you know, just, just give it to me, at least I'm busy. But there's sometimes where he wants me to trust enough that I actually am willing to do nothing if that's what's needed. I've had him speak to me on a couple occasions. This isn't frequent by any means. But I've had him speak to me on a couple occasions when I was going to do something and I was striving. And the Lord just spoke very clearly and he said, this one is on me. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. This one's on me. And I thought, you're kidding. You know, like, all by yourself? <laughs> you, you don't need my help? My goodness. <laughs> it's so dumb when you think about it, you know. It's so, so crazy. But it's, it's, many of us are accustomed to working hard. And, and as a church family, I mean, you have a wonderful facility. Congratulations on, it's a, it's a physical representation of a spiritual breakthrough. And I really do honor you and congratulate you for that.
And you worked hard for it because you were supposed to. But it just might be that the next season is the season of not great authority, but the season of great inheritance. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> we had a someone very dear to us that was just really, really in trouble. In fact, in about a two or three day period of time, there were several individuals very close to us in our life personally that were just in real serious trouble. One of them had been under such a, a torment for so long over, really over a forgiveness issue, but even that sounds simpler than what it was. It was a, a very, very troubling season. It lasted five years. And he was driving in his car, his truck, and the Holy Spirit just literally came into the car. And what he has been fighting over for five years, it's really hard to explain. This doesn't even fit perfectly into my theology, so I'm going to have to make some adjustments because <laughs> he tends to be right. <laughs> he came into the car and he literally lifted the weight of something that he couldn't fix in his own life. He just lifted it and it just vanished. It was a fight for five years that he couldn't get victory over in this forgiveness conflict thing. And without anyone in the car, in fact, to be honest, he had gotten to the point where he just didn't care anymore. He knew he was actually going to lose everything in his life and he didn't care, which is scary. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit came into that car and he realized it was a divine moment and God just lifted off of him what has been on him for so long. Sometimes we mistakenly think that our breakthroughs come because we earn them. And even on my best day, I could not earn the grace of God. It's entirely grace. It's entirely a gift. And so I want to use kind of this half of the message on inheritance as kind of a prophetic confession and declaration over you as a church family. So why don't you stand? I, although I don't know most of you, uh, I'm very thankful for you. I'm thankful for who you are in the kingdom. I'm thankful for what you guys have done as a church family. I get very happy whenever I find a group of people that are willing to host. Host the presence and host people from the nations. Whenever I find that, I know I have found people that I can partner with for life because that's, that's, that's how we live life. That's, that's what we've chosen to do. Is first of all, to host Him, to make it all about Him. We'll do whatever He says. We'll, we'll do everything and we'll do nothing. It doesn't matter. 
And so it's encouraging to find people like yourselves that are in that same journey. But here's what I want to pray. I want to pray that the Lord would give you a revelation, not just here in uh, intellectual, in, in the sense that we walk away with a nice concept, but there would be a burning realization in every heart that God is working on your behalf and is releasing inheritance. There is something being released in this next season to you that none of us could ever earn. So, Father, I pray for that. I pray as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 17, that you would give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. But I do ask specifically that the wisdom and revelation would come to unveil the beauty, the wonder, the overwhelming wonder of your inheritance given to us. Lord, with that revelation, let there be such a profound peace that people find themselves doing what they thought they could never do, and that's to be still. That's to delight ahead of time. Lord, we give thanks to you for what is about to happen that makes all our previous days look small. We give you thanks, Lord. I pray for the spirit of breakthrough, a mantle of breakthrough to rest on this church family, that every single member in this next season would step into breakthroughs that they never knew were possible. God, I ask that you would awaken the dreams in people's hearts that have long ago died. They long ago died. I don't like preaching while I'm praying, so let me share one concept, and then I'm going to wrap up the prayer. When the angel showed up to John the Baptist and said, your prayer has been heard, the original language says, the prayer that you no longer pray has been heard. In other words, you got discouraged, quit praying it a long time ago. He says, I heard those prayers. And then he brought an answer. So, Father, I pray that those old dreams, the old passions, the old desires, the old promises that just seem to have gotten lost along the way, I ask, Lord, for a spirit of resurrection to come and for this house to be known as the breakthrough house, for this house to be known as the new season house, as the season of great increase, as the season of unusual promise, that this would be known, people would walk into this building and obtain their identity, that they would discover who they are in God because of the anointing that rests in this room. I pray that every young person and every child would walk with the spirit of revelation upon them regarding identity that can change the culture of this nation. Release that anointing. God, we confess that only you can do this. Only you can pull this off. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come in power and enable us to do and to become everything you've designed for us. We pray all of this, all of this for the honor of the name Jesus. Everybody said, Amen, 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 Amen.